Good morning. Man, the Seaplus family is awesome, right? That is so cool. I hope you had an absolutely amazing Thanksgiving with your family uh, Thursday, and um, I pray even more so that uh, this morning as we are with family, that uh, God's Word will encourage your hearts as we dive in. So if you would, break out your Bibles. We're going to start off real quick here. We're going to go to the book of 1 Peter. The book of 1 Peter. We're going to be in the first chapter, and we're just going to look at a few verses here. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. If you'd follow along as I read out loud God's Word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." This is God's word. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, for everybody that is here. Father, I pray for our hearts that we would be receptive to your word. Father, that the gospel would penetrate our hearts, we would be encouraged by it. Just as Derek had mentioned, as we talk about the rescue plan through your Son, may we be filled with hope. We love you, Jesus, and we pray all these things in your name. Amen. So Peter, he starts it off. First Peter, this is a letter from him. He's an apostle, he's a servant, he's a follower of Jesus Christ, and he's a close friend. He writes this letter to some churches in Asia Minor. Uh, he kicks it off with some awesome energy. You can just feel the zeal of Peter as he kicks it off in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Basically, Peter is stoked. And he begins with praise God. Praise be to God. And Gunn goes on a list of why. Why praise God? Because of his great mercy his eternity-altering work on the cross, that we are born again to a living hope. Our living hope of what is to come when we pass from this life into eternity. Our living hope only found in Christ alone through his death and resurrection and by God's word alone. The Son rose from death in victory to bring us this life, this living hope. Christ is our living hope. And you can just feel Peter's zeal as he's shouting it out. So as we dive into this passage further, I think that it's only appropriate as faith church that we should match Peter's zeal. Don't you? 
So that's what we're going to do here, okay? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read off verse 3, the reason why. And then you're going to, when I point to y'all, you're going to shout out, praise be to God. It's up there. If you don't say the right words, you're missing out. Okay. <clears throat> so I'm going to say the why, and then I'm going to point to y'all, and you're going to do? Praise be to God. Yeah, but louder. So... <clears throat> According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Praise be to God. Amen. Let's continue as Peter, uh, uh, his enthusiasm goes on. Read with me three through five here. We're going to pick up. So, praise be to God, because according to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, that is undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We all have hopes, right? Some of us at least have one hope in our life that we can kind of pinpoint to. I think back to when I was a kid and some of my hopes. One of my greatest hopes was to be a ball player in the NBA for the Chicago Bulls. That didn't turn out so well. <laughs> but we all have these hopes. I really loved the Chicago Bulls. I wanted to play with Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. They were awesome. We also have hopes of maybe we want to be super wealthy one day, super rich, get, get all the monies. Or maybe some of us have hopes that the Seahawks would return to the Super Bowl and maybe win it. The point is, as time goes on, <laughs> not all of us are Seahawk fans in here. Huh, okay. As time goes on, these hopes fade and they eventually die. See, reality sets in for the NBA. I stop growing up and I start growing out. Wealth doesn't just show up at your front door. And the Seahawks usually choke before getting to the Super Bowl. Time destroys our hopes. They fade away and then they die. But this hope, this living hope that Peter talks about here, does not fade away. Time does not destroy this hope. In fact, it gets better and grows greater with time. In fact, Peter calls it an inheritance here in verse 4. And this is no flawed, conflict-ridden, earthly inheritance that some of us are used to in our families. We receive an inheritance and there's conflict in it. This is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. This is an inheritance that can't be ruined. It cannot be cheapened. It cannot be stained in any way, and it won't grow old or end, for it is eternal. Our inheritance as Christians, followers of and dwellers in Christ, cannot disappoint us. Praise be to God, for Christ is our living hope. So let's pick back up in verse 6 here where Peter's using his zeal, and he's going along. In verse 6, he says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. 
This is good stuff. Peter is talking all about the living hope in previous verses, and he's talking about our inheritance that we who believe have. We are to have joy and rejoice over the living hope. But then there's trials. See, Peter has a lot of zeal and a lot of passion, and he carries that into reality as well. We can, it's not all sunshines and rainbows and then the easy road in life. He's very real with us here, but trials. Yes, rejoice in the promises, rejoice in the living hope, but it isn't always the easy road filled with sunshine and rainbows. We should rejoice in all trials, in all hardships. But that's kind of a backward way of thinking, right? Rejoice in the hard stuff? We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But the living hope is our enjoyment in the midst of suffering. See, a believer's life doesn't exclude grief. All too often we read a passage like this and we go through and we read, you've been grieved by various trials, we'll just dodge that grief. It's uncomfortable. It's not fun to deal with. We don't like grief. The reality is when you are saved by God's grace and submit to him, Life doesn't just become light and weightless. Now, as Christians, we are not exempt from hardships. We're not exempt from pain or from grief. In fact, these things are an active part of our lives. Trials are a part of who we are, and they show us the person we were and now the person who we've become. So let's talk about trials for a bit. Trials are God's tools for growing and shaping his children into the likeness of his son. But let's not minimize the pain and the heaviness here of being grieved by the trials. The the heaviness and pain is real, and it totally sucks. Amen? That's right. Maybe this time of year is difficult or painful for you because of past trials. Maybe Thanksgiving, Christmas, and all the holidays aren't the funnest. The holiday season can be super depressing for some. We're not minimizing this reality. We're not stepping over it. We're addressing it. Because Christ did not step over it. Christ did not minimize the pain. And all too often we cover it up or maybe we mask it with the phrase, well, it's going to be all right. It'll all work out. Hard day, painful trials. Here's some distractions for you to cover your pain. Turn on your TV, watch Netflix, Disney Plus, go shopping, hit a bucket of balls, scroll on your social media pages. These distractions are numbing. They're numbers. And the gospel gives us something even better than something that is numbing. Jesus took our suffering, everything that we're going through presently, everything that we've gone through in the past and everything that is to come, and he put it on himself. He took our suffering and through his death on the cross, his sacrifice in the spilling of his blood, that he took our pain, he took our sufferings, and God is in control of our trials. The God of the universe, the Father of our Savior, who entered into our pain, is in control, overseeing every step. That should be comforting. 
Praise be to God, for Christ is our living hope. The phrase here in verse 6, if necessary, indicates that there are times when God knows that we need trials. Sometimes trials discipline us when we have disobeyed God. Uh, The psalmist writes in 119.67, Before my trial, my affliction, when I went astray and off track, but now that I'm on the other side of that trial, that affliction, I can see where I've been and the hardship that I endured, and I keep your word. And there are other times that trials prepare us for spiritual growth or even help prevent us from sinning. We may not always know the need being met, but we can trust God and know that he knows what to do and he knows what is best. Peter then uses an adjective here in verse 6, various, to describe our trials. This word also commonly translates to uh, mean variated or many-colored. And I really like that last one, many-colored, because no matter if you're having a blue Monday or a gray Thursday, no matter the color of day, God has grace that is sufficient to meet the need. We also ought to be reminded that in the many colored trials that we face and will face, there's no conquering of the one to master the many. Each trial is specific in shaping us and growing us in how God wants us to be. Oh, and don't forget that trials don't last forever, also in verse 6. They are only for a little while. Trials aren't forever, they're for a season. A famous theologian stated that when God permits his children to go through trials, he keeps his eye on the clock and his hand on the thermostat. See, when God allows us, his children, to go through the furnace of trials, his eye is watching the time and his hand is checking the temperature. And it is when we submit to him, our suffering ends. This furnace illustration is actually what Peter uses when he speaks of gold in verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. More precious than gold that is perishable. You have the raw material of gold that is extracted from the earth. This gold ore must be purified. There's a whole lot of other in there when it's extracted from the earth. And it's said that historically the eastern goldsmith kept the metal in the furnace, scraping away the impurities that rose until he could see his own reflection in the molten gold. So pure he could see his own reflection. So the Lord keeps us in the furnace of suffering until we reflect the glory and beauty of Jesus Christ. Our trials and hardships of today are preparing us for the glory of tomorrow. So do, as verse 6 states, rejoice in your trials, not in the suffering and the pain, for Christ did not rejoice in the beatings, the crown of thorns. He did not rejoice in being nailed to a cross but rejoice in the living hope 
that is Jesus Christ. This is what Peter's getting at here. And it's super difficult while we're in our trials to look around and try to find things to rejoice in, but we can be assured of one thing, looking forward and looking ahead, we will always find joy and we will always find that hope. So as many of you know, Riley and I had our first kid, our first son, little Tobias, and he, he's the best. <clears throat> I can be biased. He's my son. Um, but there are many, along with my wife, many amazing women in here that can attest to the fact that the waiting game for a nine-month pregnancy isn't the most fun. Am I right? There's a gentleman, amen. Okay. <laughs> it's not the most fun. There's morning sickness. There's achy backs. There's sore and swollen ankles, not to mention the labor pains of giving birth, the sufferings and sacrifices, the hurt and heaviness of bringing a child into this world is mind-blowing. I'm still in awe, and it's been two months now. In Romans 8, 22 through 24, Paul writes about our present suffering in light of our future glory. He writes, we know that the whole of creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Even Paul here speaks of hope amid pains. Labor pains dramatically set the stage in our minds, and they set the tone concerning our trials. The heaviness is real, and it honestly sucks. But it is only for a little while. It's only for a season. Because in the end, you're a mama holding her newborn child. You're a child of God who just accomplished spiritual growth. A child who is now even more in the likeness of Christ. Verses 8 and 9 as we conclude. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Joy, inexpressible joy. That's some pretty wicked awesome joy, right? Though we don't see him now, we still believe and we rejoice. I'm reminded of two individuals in the New Testament who waited and waited and endured in prayer for the coming Messiah. I'm talking about Simeon and Anna in the book of Luke. Their stories are told of how they waited for Jesus' coming into their old age. Their stories are recorded and tell of an unwavering faithfulness, a joy in their waiting for the Messiah. And though they had not yet seen him, they believed. It was over 2,000 years ago, a young girl endured her labor pains, her act of obedience to God. She'd give birth to the Son of God, Jesus, the promised Messiah. This baby born from suffering 
than as a man entered into our suffering, yours and mine, dying on a cross, defeating sin and death, and raising again to life, bringing forth a living hope. This is the first Sunday of Advent, and we'll be celebrating that here in a little bit. But right here, right now, where you are presently, this trial that you face, this heaviness that's in your heart, where the fog has set in and you can't see very far, this isn't it. This isn't all. There is hope beyond the trial. Fix your eyes forward. Look ahead. For he has broken every chain. Death is defeated, and there's power in his name. Praise be to God, for Christ is our living hope. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your Son. For this, our living hope, Jesus, we are grateful. We know that in the trials and in the midst of it, the hardships suck. God, let us look to you. You have enough grace to cover it all. And it is because of your spilled blood and your beaten body and your death on the cross that we can be right with you, that we can be in relationship with you, Jesus. And Father, as, as the gospel has said through the zeal of Peter, your friend, if you've put this on any heart in here this morning, may they be so bold as to talk with one of us so that we may rejoice with them of your great sacrifice, of your Son and his work. Father, bless the rest of this amazing worship service where we glorify you in all that we do with our voices and singing and with our minds in learning your word. Commit these truths to our lives. May we not be merely hearers of the word, but doers as well. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.